Christ in us, Christ through us for the sake of the world, but especially remember Christ in us because that is central to what God has placed on my heart to share with you today. We've been talking now for several weeks about surviving the wilderness, but I think we can do better than survive. I think we can thrive and we can be brave. We can do better than just make it through because Jesus shows us how. Two weeks ago when we first, first gathered in this space, there was just a feeling of relief and joy in the air for those who were present. And I hope there was also joy in the hearts of the people who are watching on live stream because it's fine for you to watch from home until you feel safe and comfortable to come back. But the fact that we are beginning a time when we can be together, even in smaller groups, is something to be joyful about. Belonging matters. That's why here at St. Paul, one of our values that Pastor Bob spoke about that day was that we are better together and that you belong here. And that's true. But there's another side to that coin about belonging, and that's what we're going to talk about today. See, the downside, the hard part of belonging is that when we belong to groups of people, all of those broken things about people show up at various times. We can hurt each other. We can want to belong so bad that we kind of sell our souls. We hurt others, others hurt us, because that's just what human sin has done. We are broken people. But even knowing that, we still believe that we are better together and that you belong here, but we also have to be prepared for those times when our own brokenness and the brokenness of other people cause us to have to make decisions about who we're going to be, how we're going to stand, or how we're going to kneel. And we learn that from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He taught us how to act, where to go, to whom we should turn in times of struggle. You see, relationships can be really hard. And belonging requires us to be in relationship with other people. People who are broken. Broken just like us. And in those moments when we feel that we're all alone, when sin has corrupted others and caused them to hurt us, or sin has corrupted us and caused us to hurt others, we need to remember that the sinless one, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, also knew what it was to be broken. But before we get to Jesus' brokenness, let's talk about the Bible, the very beginning. Before we get out of Genesis, we meet a multitude of people who were terribly broken. Adam and Eve, they had it made. They were able to commune with God in the garden, and they blew it. They made decision to eat that fruit that was forbidden, the only thing that was forbidden to them. And the rest, as they say, is history. Abraham came along. He was God's chosen one to go occupy a new place. But along the way, he managed to tell people that his wife was really his sister, which led to sexual sin. He had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And boy, were they a broken bunch. 
one of the youngest sons was kind of daddy's favorite. He was Jacob's favorite. And that fact led him to be prideful and arrogant. And that fact led his older brothers to be jealous and mean. And they sold their younger brother Joseph into slavery. How broken is that? And yet, by the end of the story, God had reunited those brothers with their father. And Joseph, the one who had been sold into slavery, came out of his brokenness to make a place and a home for his brothers who would become the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. We can turn to our New Testament and we have these 12 who were chosen by Jesus. Judas Iscariot, he was broken. He wanted 30 pieces of silver. I mean, who can't use a little extra cash, right? And he wanted his political agenda to be carried out by his Lord and Savior. Oh yeah, politics can break us every single day, then and now. The Bible is full of broken people. But Jesus' brokenness was different. It was sinless brokenness. You see, Jesus came to earth. The Father sent the Son. He donned human skin. And he decided to experience our brokenness, not because he had to prove anything to himself, but because we needed to know that Jesus understands us when everything about us seems wrong. Jesus chose to be that person who would experience our anguish, our fear, our death. We're going to turn to the night that he was arrested, but before he was arrested that night, Jesus had dinner with his disciples. He instituted what we now celebrate as Holy Communion. He washed their feet. He told them, this command I give you to love one another. And then when they left that upper room, Judas had already betrayed Jesus. They walked down the Mount of Olives, which is just outside of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley to a beautiful garden. I had the opportunity to see it in person, and there was no place in Israel except maybe the River Jordan that touched me more than that Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus took his followers there, and let me read to you how Matthew tells the story of what unfolded. This is from Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. This is Jesus talking. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 
Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they could not keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things. This passage is so important. It has so much to teach us. Jesus demonstrated human brokenness. And my guess, there's one or two of you, at least here this morning, are going, whoa, Pastor Pam, Jesus wasn't broken. He was perfect. I didn't say he wasn't perfect, and I didn't say he was sinful. I said he was broken. And in this moment, he was, because you must remember The Jesus who came to this earth, who ministered to us, was fully human, just as he was fully divine. He experienced sorrow over the death of a friend, and he wept. I'm sure he felt anguish at being betrayed and being denied. And in this prayer, he told the disciples himself, my soul is crushed with grief. That's broken, friends. Not sinful, but broken. (laughs) You know, Jesus went back three times to ask the Father if there was another way. But if we read the words that he used, each time he went back, between the first and second time, there was more strength in his request. The first time he said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. But the second time, he said, my father, if this cup cannot be taken from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. He gained strength, and he didn't gain that strength from belonging to a group of 12 disciples, one of whom had already betrayed him, and one who was about to deny him. He gained strength because he turned to the one to whom he belonged first, who would never, ever let him down, even when he didn't answer the prayer the way Jesus hoped he would. Jesus couldn't overcome the human side of frailty on his own. His human friends couldn't help him overcome it either. They were too sleepy from the wine they had had and the fear they faced. He turned to the Father and he gained strength. And the gospel accounts tell us again and again that that's what Jesus always did when he was depleted or he was tired or when he needed time to reconnect and remember what his mission was about. After his baptism, he went into the wilderness for 40 days where he withstood really serious, hard-to-resist temptations. After John the Baptist was killed and Jesus learned of it, he withdrew to the wilderness. The gospel stories tell many times after a hard day of ministry and prayer and teaching, Jesus withdrew, sometimes alone and sometimes with his disciples, to pray. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, we find Jesus with the rawest human emotion he would ever demonstrate, except perhaps on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
fully human, fully divine. And in this case, broken, just like us. Except in our cases, some of our brokenness comes from our own sins or the sins of others. You see, Jesus knew that he had to turn to the Father and own the fact that he was broken. When he said to the Father, you know, is there another way, please? He was being honest in how he felt with God. We need to do the same. He wasn't a rugged individualist. He didn't pull himself up by his bootstraps. He wasn't stoic. He depended on the Father to give him what he couldn't give himself and what his human friends and followers couldn't give him either. And Jesus had spoken about this. Actually, he had prayed about it earlier in the evening. He prayed a prayer that you'll find in John 17. It's a long prayer. It's called Jesus' priestly prayer, and it is beautiful in what it says about Christ being in us and us being in Christ. Let me read a couple verses of it to you. Jesus was praying to the Father about his disciples at this point in the prayer. And this is what he said. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought together to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Remember the words I asked you to remember at the beginning? Christ in us, here he says it, I in them and you in me. You know, we have to learn to remember that Jesus said that. He declared he was one with God the Father, but he was also one with his followers. And they were in one another. They loved one another. Talk about belonging. That's belonging you can count on. You know, there's times in our lives when we're broken by life's natural circumstances, our lives here on earth and in death. Spouses who have loved and lived with each other for decades and decades, 70 years, 80 years, whatever, one usually precedes the other to heaven. And the one who's left behind hurts. That's brokenness. That broken, hurt widower or widow didn't do anything wrong. It's just the way life is. A parent raises a child. Parents raise a child together and the child grows up and finds a spouse and moves away. And suddenly that child, for whom you were the greatest object of their love, suddenly loves somebody else. And sometimes, based on all the mother-in-law jokes I hear, you don't always like that person. They have children of their own, and you come to love those grandkids, but you know you've lost something. That children, that child that's grown up leaves, and you're kind of broken. Oh, the stories of parents who send their kids off to college, they hurt. <laughs> there are also times when we're broken by what our culture teaches us and by our inner relationships and interactions with one another. I've talked to so many people during this COVID-19 pandemic from all sides of the spectrum and questions about what the right things are to do. I've talked to people who are dismayed or miffed or angry or frustrated or confused by how can 
so-and-so believe what they believe politically. We get mad when we hear someone say, black lives matter. Others of us get mad when we hear someone say, blue lives matter. Others of us throw our hands in the air and say, can't we all just get along? All lives matter without really trying to understand the perspective of the other. This has been a season when injustice has infuriated us, when looting has infuriated us, when wearing a mask has infuriated us, or those who won't wear the mask have infuriated us, where some think schools should be open and, only, and others think schools should only be online. It's been a hard time, and yet we're Jesus followers, and we're supposed to work through that brokenness and demonstrate something that the world doesn't know how to demonstrate. When we're broken by loneliness, by grief, by anger, by racism, by fractured relationships, by parents who don't parent the way they should, by children whose lives aren't going the way we want them to go, we need to remember that Jesus doesn't leave us. And even when we feel like we may be standing alone, we are never alone if we believe Christ in us. Christ through us for the sake of the world. You know, when we have Jesus in us, we have a place where we can always turn in the wilderness, even when other human beings have let us down and we feel like we don't belong anywhere. The belonging will come again someday, but there are times when we need to stand alone. And you see, our culture recognizes the importance of belonging. Mental health pro professionals recognize the importance of belonging. Our schools recognize it. Otherwise, why would we have all these sports teams and all these clubs? Why do we work in teams in our places of work? Why do we have the family rituals that we have? Because belonging matters. But belonging can also corrupt us if we yearn to belong so much that we'll do anything to fit in, including selling our souls. Dr. Brene Brown is a popular author these days. She did her graduate work and her doctoral studies on the subjects of vulnerability and shame. She's written a whole bunch of books that are very popular, The Gifts of Imperfection, Rising Strong. But my favorite in this most recent season of my life is Braving the Wilderness. Now, Brene Brown is a Christian but she's not a writer of Christian literature. She writes more from the perspective of um, mental health, more from a secular perspective, but throughout her writing, she constantly comes back to the fact that we can go through the tough stuff if we rely on the spirit within us. She says this in this book that I'm so fond of. True belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. 
True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. Now, Brene Brown is a really fine writer, and I, I, I just love her. But if I had written this book instead of her, I would have changed that definition of true belonging just a little bit. I might have written it this way. True belonging is the spiritual practice of believing and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone with Christ in you. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who God created you to be in the face of what the world encourages you to be. The key point for us today is if we are one with Christ and Christ is in us and we are in Christ, then we can stand alone in the wilderness with Jesus as our constant companion until life comes around and we can stand again with the beloved community that we're part of. If we can do this while we're in one of those awful wilderness times, then we can do more than survive the wilderness. We can thrive in the wilderness. We can brave the wilderness, to use Brene's word. We can be a beacon of light to people who think they are so broken that they will never find a way. If we can show people what it means to have Christ in us by standing alone when we must, and be who we really are in the face of the world's pressures, then truly we will have become a new kind of disciple. But braving the wilderness requires us to admit when we're broken, to confess our sins both to God and to those we may have hurt. It requires us to do exactly what Pastor Bob talked about last week. We have to forgive other people, we have to forgive ourselves, and then we have to park our baggage at the foot of the cross and look ahead and move into what God still has remaining for us. You know, one of our ministries here at St. Paul is called the Carpenter Shop. The folks who are in that ministry make little wooden toys that are distributed to children in the community through Metropolitan Ministries and through first responders. It's not called the carpenter's shop because the folks who work there are carpenters. It's called the carpenter's shop because Jesus was a carpenter with a capital C. When I receive emails from the guys who make up the ministry, the carpenter shop, there's a little saying at the bottom. Grant Corrigan, who leads that ministry, has this saying, and this is what it says. It says, we're all a little broken. We don't need more varnish. We need a carpenter. We don't need varnish to mask who we really are. We don't need to put lipstick on the proverbial pig. We can do more than survive. If we can learn to do what Jesus did in his anguished moment in Gethsemane, when all else fails us, when everyone else leaves us alone, if we turn to the one, the master carpenter, the healer, and we say, I, I can't do this, I'm broken, 
please, Jesus, fix me. He will. And if we can learn to do that, well, then we can show the world how to survive its own brokenness. So we end today where we began, where the video ended, with the words, Christ in us, Christ through us, for the sake of the world. Being restored from our brokenness isn't just to make our lives better. It's so that we can be shining examples, beacons of light, salt and light for broken people in a broken world. Amen?